welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, Scott. Hi, James. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well this week. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Doing great. What do you want to talk about today? Well, you know, um, I think with uh, there's still obviously uncertainty in the world today with COVID and everything going around, but I think people are starting to get their bearings on life. And uh, perhaps we've even been pulling back and holding some cash back and 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 uh, not really putting things to work as much right now. Might have been the initial response that we had. But uh, I thought it'd be a good day to talk about what um, where people might want to look to go and invest and different places that they can do so. I think it's always a good topic to bring up uh, a few times a year. So I know we've touched on this a little bit once before, but we could we could go at it from a slightly different angle today. I agree. And I think even uh, with people kind of get their bearings back with everything that's happened and the uncertainty, it's kind of caused a lot of people to refocus on their finances and to say, okay, wow, things can change and they can change pretty quickly. So as I'm going forward, what do I need to begin doing, whether it's with savings or whether it's with retirement planning or whatever it may be? Mm -hmm. What we'll do today is, is start to think about of all the different things you could save to whether it's emergency funds or retirement accounts or stock option plans or whatever you have available to you, it can be overwhelming. And so just lay out a framework of, of where, what order should you start to think about some of these things in to understand what make, makes so, most sense to save to first. Sounds good. Um, so why don't we start with the foundation? Let's do it. Where, where, where would we always start with someone when they come in saying like, hey, I have a you know, $50,000. What should I do with it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where are you going to start? I, the first question, at least when it comes to savings, is what's your emergency fund like? Tell me about your emergency fund. Do you have a cash mm-hmm. reserve? And mm-hmm. we just saw, a lot of people just saw are still continuing to see why that's so important. If you lose a job or if an emergency comes up or something happens, you want to make sure that you have cash that's not invested. It's it's not in a stock or a bond or anything. It's really just cash in the bank that you're using as an emergency fund in case of an emergency. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, I, th- I, th- I always think of this as it's like your own mini insurance policy mm-hmm. on your, on your financial life, right? If, if you have that cash ready and available, um, if the, if your, you know, financial world blows up temporarily, um, you don't have to go running to, um, credit card debt or, you know, someplace like that, um, that can, can actually cost you quite a bit and be detrimental. Uh, much better to have a solid foundation to begin with. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is like a life insurance policy. You, you are just an insurance policy because you really hope that you don't have to use it. You know, ideally it just sits there and doesn't do mm-hmm. anything for you. But if you do need it, you're really glad that you had it. Yep. And there's a few rules of thumb. We talked about them in the past for how people can think about how much of an emergency fund they might want to have. Um, you mm-hmm. want to remind listeners of that? Yeah. Episode 19. We talked much more in depth than this, but what's a general rule of thumb? And if someone wants a more in-depth answer, they can check out episode number 19 where we talk. Yeah, so the the general, general rule of thumb is uh, that three to six months, you always hear in articles of your living expenses. 
should be in an emergency fund. Um, I think another interesting take on that could be 10% of your pay if you're a W-2 earner, 20% if you're not, and then maybe look to double those amounts in other areas um, that mm-hmm. might be in bonds or something like that. Those are That's a good generalist point of view. And then the other key is the, the more cyclical your job is with the economy, the more you may want to have, right? So if, you, if you're in a sales position and if sales slow down, you don't make as much money, you may want to have more in your coffers for that, mm-hmm. those downturns than mm-hmm. if you have a very steady paying job. Um, it might may not be as much of a concern. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we did a pretty thorough analysis of what should you think of, depending on where you are in that episode. But if you want a super simple back of the napkin answer of how much should you have in your emergency fund, just so you can feel like you check that box, three to six months is a good general starting point. And then of course, it's going to be more uniquely tailored to you from there. But uh, that's that should be the first place before investing, before doing 401k or 529 plans or any other options, make sure that you have something in your emergency fund. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, that fund can sit uh, at your bank. Banks don't really earn much of anything. There are online savings accounts that can earn a little bit more, although they may not for long because the federal funds rates now zero with the coronavirus crisis. Um, But it's still better to have that cash on hand than not have it at all. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Awesome. So let's say someone comes to us and they say, hey, but my emergency fund's fully intact. I have six months of living expenses set aside. Uh, What do I think about next? Where to after that? Yeah. So I think you kind of go to um, healthcare savings and retirement savings. Which one do you want to dive into first? Let's start with healthcare savings because that that in some ways could be thought of almost like an emergency fund for certain expenses. And if you don't need it, it almost turns into into a retirement fund. So it's almost the best of both worlds. Yeah. And that's for what there's two kinds of health savings accounts you'll see commonly. One's called a flexible savings account, which is not Mm -hmm. what, uh, what, not what I just described. described. (laughs) So the health savings accounts, the one where people almost always remember your employee employer saying something like, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, that's what a flexible savings account is. Um, it's a place where if you don't use the funds in the year, um, you don't, get to keep them versus Mm -hmm. a health savings account or an HSA that will allow you to put away um, about $3,500 this year as an individual or $7,100 as a family. Um, There's a catch up provision if you're over the age of 55. So it's a place where you can go put that money away. And if you don't need it, you can let it grow for retirement or medical expenses in retirement. Right. And so if you have the option, I mean, the, the HSA is clearly better just because what Scott just, just described, if you don't use those funds in one year, great, you can actually invest those funds and they can continue growing for you. And they continue growing and rolling over year after year after year until you ultimately either need them for medical expenses or use them as part of your retirement income. And it, depending upon what plan is offered, if you have a flexible savings account, which is the FSA, again, that's the use it or lose it option. You can make a tax deductible contribution up to $2,750. Just be sure that you're going to use that if you make it. Yes, it's a tax deduction, but if you don't use those funds, uh, it's it's really just an expense. So no benefit to you. Um, but the HSA, if you can get up to the $3,550 as an individual, which is your limit, or the $7,100, as Scott mentioned, great. That's, that's, a, that's a great place to start after your emergency fund because one, it's a tax deductible contribution. Two, it grows tax-free. And three, it comes out tax-free if it's used for healthcare expenses, or if it comes out ultimately for retirement expenses, then it's it's taxable on the back end in the same way an IRA or 401k would be. 
And the one caveat, and Scott, we talked about this in previous episodes, is California actually doesn't recognize HSAs, oddly enough. So federally, it's tax deductible, but on the California end, it's just treated like a regular taxable account. Totes. Yep. Yep. All those fun, fun tax laws we get to deal with. They're always a joy. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, another it, HSAs kind of, uh, pardon me, FSAs kind of snuck in here. It's more of an expense kind of line item issue. Um, but if you're a young parent and you're taking care of, and you're both working and you have kids with childcare expenses, then dependent care uh, savings account would also hit here, which would be another $5,000 pre-tax that you could use on the expense line that year. Just keep that one in mind as well. It's a way to yeah. help increase your help you out and reduce your tax bill and help it stretch those dollars for childcare, which is pretty expensive around here. Yeah. Um, yep. That's another good one. Um, yeah. From there, why don't we transition into retirement savings? Um, yeah, this is probably the, the big one people start to think of, of, Hey, I'm coming to you with money. Where do I invest? Well, as we mentioned, do the emergency fund first, then consider healthcare savings funds, and then start to think about retirement savings. And the first place you always want to look is if you have a 401k or a 403b, really any type of, of qualified retirement plan through work, oftentimes there'll be matching contributions. So that is always the first place that you should look because any dollar that you contribute to that plan, your employer is going to match it in some amount, either 100% of it or 50% of it up to some limit. And so that's a, that's a very good place to start. Yeah. Um yeah, and it's kind of a, you know, we started with foundational, have the emergency fund. From there, to me, it almost always flows to like, where do you get free money? And as mm-hmm. you just said, like, if you get a match, go get the match, right? That's great. Go do that. Um, and then as far as where you go put those funds, it could either be at a, through an employer plan, it could be a Roth, or it could be a, a regular um, 401k plan. And so then you're going to want to look at your tax bracket and see like, well, which way should I lean on this? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you expect to be in a higher or lower tax bracket now or in the future? Obviously, that's a tough question because it's, it's, there's two variables there. There's what will your income be now, which you know, but what will it be in the future, which is maybe unknown. And then number two, what will tax brackets be now, which is known, but what will they be in the future when it comes time to spending some of your money in your 401k or retirement accounts? Mm-hmm. That's something that's unknown. So the more you think that tax rates, either because your income will be higher or because tax brackets will be higher in the future, the more you think that's the way things are headed, the more likely it's you, you should be contributing to a Roth 401k, a Roth IRAs. The more you think, no, I'm in a higher tax bracket now today because I'm making a bunch of money or because when I retire, um, I'll move out of state or I just my tax bracket will be lower, then you might want to consider traditional 401k or traditional IRA. Yep. And you could potentially do a bit of both. So another thing that you could look at would be do if you're in a high income, if you're a high income earner now, like in California, you know, you're in a 37 at the highest bracket federally is 37%. And then you're basically another 10 here. So you're, you're getting close to a 50% tax bracket. Um, Mm -hmm. So you might want to go put as much as you can in those pre-tax dollars, but then you can look to do other things like um, back to a Roth contributions or mega back to a Roth contributions, where you're essentially putting after-tax dollars away and then converting it into the Roth to grow tax-free into the future. Right. So get everything that you can from a tax savings today through your 401k, through the match. But then once you've maxed all that out, don't stop there. Do the backdoor Roth conversion. Do the mega backdoor uh, Roth 401k conversion if that's an option to you through your 401k. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. 
Yep. And then what are some of those limits? So, so I know that I can contribute up to 19500 per year to a 401k if I'm under 50. And if I'm 50 or older, I can contribute up to 26000 But there's some income limitations when it comes to IRAs and Roth IRAs. What are those income limits? Yeah, so it's going to be dependent upon whether or not you or your spouse participate in a qualified retirement plan to begin with. If you don't participate in a qualified retirement plan, like a 401k through work, um, you can contribute to IRAs and make deductible contributions. Um, but if one of you participates, then you start to hit these limits. So the phase outs, um, basically once you hit 139,000 of income single, or you hit 206,000 for, um, a couple, you can no longer make Roth contributions. And I believe that's the same phase out for IRA contributions, although it might handy dandy check sheet right here. I believe so. If a spouse verify is covered. That. Yeah, it is the same. Yeah. 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 Same thing if a spouse is covered, meaning you may say, well, James Scott, I don't, I don't have any 401k. Why, why is my, why do I have an income limitation on what I can contribute? Uh, you don't, unless your spouse is covered by a 401k or 403b. So there are, it does get a little bit complicated because as to do with what do you have? What does your spouse have? What's your combined income? And based upon those three variables, it's going to, there's going to be some limitations. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else on the retirement side? I know, I mean, 401k and IRAs, those are the big ones, but anything else we need to add there? Uh, no. I, well, I think, you know, if, if people have set it up properly, backdoor Roths can be an interesting opportunity as well, which is essentially saying like, I make too much money to put money away in those back in those uh, Roth IRAs, but we can we can go about it a different direction by making a non-deductible contribution and then converting it. There's some nuance there because you have to make sure you don't have any other IRA money um, sitting around and that's considered separate than having 401k or 403b or 457 money. So it gets a little complicated, but there is info out there. I think the biggest key big picture to look at when you go build a balance sheet for yourself you don't necessarily want everything saved pre-tax 401k. You don't necessarily want everything all Roth, right? Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily want and have nothing taxable because if you're young and you decide you want to do a big life change, it can really limit what you're able to do with your balance sheet. If everything's tied up in an area that's going to get penalized until you're age 60 for withdrawing, that can be a real problem. So you want to look at everything kind of in moderation in a sense. Yeah, it's tax diversification. Yeah. Diversifying the different types of accounts that you have because you're right, they all have pros and cons and different limits on when you can and can't touch them. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, another place to go look for, because I, I mentioned kind of looking for free, almost free money if you're if you're employed. Uh, another place if you if you have a company stock to go look for kind of free money is um, ESPP or an employee stock purchase program. Um, mm -hmm. You want to walk people through high level what that looks like? Yeah, when an ESPP or employee stock purchase program or plan is is it's it's offered by your employer, and if your employer has stock, what they say is you can participate in purchasing your employer's stock. And what they do is every paycheck you defer a certain amount of dollars or a certain percentage of your paycheck to purchase stock, but instead of just purchasing that stock at whatever it costs to buy the stock, whatever the fair market value is, you typically get up to a 15% discount to say, okay, well, over that six-month period in which you contributed, let's say you contribute from beginning of January to end of June, they're going to say, at what point was the stock lowest? On January 1st or on June 30th? 
take the lowest point and then subtract or deduct an additional 15% off of that. And that's the price at which you're purchasing all of the stock. So it gives you a really great way. It's almost, it's, it's really a guaranteed rate of return to purchase your own employer stock, which is one thing that you'll hear a lot of financial planners say, don't get too diverse or don't get too concentrated in, in, in any one stock. Make sure you're not too focused on any one, you know, your employer. But in our opinion, this is one of the best places that you can contribute. I think even before 401k, sometimes you might want to contribute to the ESPP because it's a definite guaranteed rate of return over a short six month time period. So I think it's a fantastic tool, especially if you participate and then immediately diversify. So uh, uh, exercise and sell your shares and do something else with them. I think it's a great place to start um, along with the 401k match that you're getting, of course, when you're first looking to say, where do I put my first dollars above and beyond the, my emergency fund? Yeah, I, I largely agree with what you're saying. I, th- you know, it's, mo- I think the way most of us advisors think of it is like, don't go invest in the stock and buy it and hold it. Mm-hmm. Go buy it, get the discount, go sell it. And so long as you can, so long as the plan's designed so you can do that, you're picking up the spread and paying ordinary income tax on it. You're basically just giving yourself a little bonus. Mm-hmm. right? Is really what's happening. Some plans are designed so that once you receive the shares, you have to hold them for another year. So you are exposing yourself to some market risks. So that's something to be thoughtful of. Um, and then sometimes the discount's not as great. The greatest is, and what you most commonly see is 15%. I was actually just reviewing a plan uh, last week where it's a 5% um, ESPP purchase. So it's not, the, then you start asking your question, like, is the, is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, depending on how much income you make, you're usually capped at the amount you can put away in these plants, $25,000 a year. So you start looking at that discount you get and how much income you generate off of that. And you just look at, does it make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in a lot of cases, yes, but you're right. Take a look at it, see what the other options are, what's, what's kind of the opportunity cost of doing that before yeah. making that decision. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. What if you're a business owner? So maybe you're a contractor or you're in business and you've got a good amount of income, but it's just you and you don't have an employer technically providing you a 401k. What should you do for yourself? How can you set something up for yourself? Go listen to episode one of our podcast on should I use a SEP or a solo 401k? Um, And we'll get to the conclusion that we feel you should probably use a solo 401k. Yeah, um, simple enough. Skip yeah. episode one, use a solo 401k. Allows you to save that 19 and a half thousand that we talked about earlier for normal 401ks plus a profit sharing component that you can quickly get to the maximum of $57,000 or with the catch up. Um, what's that going to be like 62 and change this year? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's 57,000 is that the max that you could put in combined. But there's a six with the five and a half that with the catch up for four hundred one k for being over five. the age of fifty. Yeah, yeah sixty three five is the max this year. So I mean, that's a lot of income um, for for a sing, for a single employer um, company. So if that's the case, you and your spouse can do that. The moment you have employees, you need to go look at traditional four hundred one k's, which we've already talked about. But now you have some costs to running that four hundred one k. You're gonna have you're gonna be doing it because of the benefits for the employees as well as for yourself. So it just mm-hmm. shifts the conversation a little bit. Right. Right. Exactly. But yeah, it's 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 when you're self-employed and have a good amount of income, there's some pretty cool retirement plans you can implement to save a whole bunch, to defer a whole bunch in taxes, and set yourself up pretty nicely for retirement. 
Yeah. And, you know, plans that we're talking about so far are usually what we call defined contribution plans, meaning that we're putting money in, we're contributing to them. Uh, and maybe there's a match from an employer or you're putting it away yourself. It's typically what we're talking about. There can be other plans called defined benefit plans. You don't really hear much about them anymore. But if you're a really high income earner and it's your own business, um, you can cr- get a defined benefit plan set up. Again, there are costs for doing so, but you could potentially put upwards of later in your career, up to $250,000 a year away tax deferred, um, which can be really beneficial. There's also some some regulatory constraints that you have to hit certain metrics. So um, it's not something we see very often, but if you have really high income, it can be really beneficial yeah. to you. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So let, let's assume that um, we now have our emergency fund. We've taken care of the health savings type accounts. We've done some good retirement savings. We've taken care of some stock option type plans at our workplace. We've checked all those boxes. Mm -hmm. Where might I go next? Yeah. So for me, you know, I own my company outright and I have, uh, well, my wife and I own it, but we have two boys. Uh, One's eight. One's going to turn two this summer. So they're not working for the business yet, but as they get older and they can do, um, they can do jobs that are legitimate um, probably hire them so that they can do that work. And by doing that, we could, they would have earned income and then they could potentially go put their money in Roth IRAs, for instance. Yeah. Right. So they could, they could start saving tax free for life in there, you know, at 10, 11, 12. Uh, we do that between now and when they get out of college and start their own career. Um, they could really be ahead of the game. Yeah. And if you, if you think about, you know, what's what I think episode looking up here, episode 10, listen to the magic of compounding interest, listen to that. And then think about what you could do if you gave a little bit of money to your children's Roth IRAs each year, that's, that's a huge, huge benefit. So yeah. if you can find a way to do that through your business and have it be a tax deduction and help your children. And of course, they're providing a legitimate function in the business. It's a win, win, win. Across yeah. The you don't, you don't, they don't just get to phone it in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from the yeah. Midwest. We like they have to do real work. Yeah, there's no that wouldn't fly anyway. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, kind of continuing on the the helping future generations. What about college savings? What what might people think of? And this is probably an interesting one because as we're talking about coronavirus and impacts of that, who knows what the future of education flow looks like? Yeah. Uh, just the way things are shifting. But as it stands today, what are some options of things you could do as you start thinking about, okay, I've funded my retirement, I funded my emergency fund, I funded my health accounts. How do I start thinking about children's college? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you, you can obviously, you can put them in a 529 account, 529 accounts. There's a, a lot of people always think that you have to put money in the 529 account for the state that you're in. Not necessarily true. Some states offer special like tax deductions for putting money in their own plan. Some offer for putting it in any plan. Some states like California offer no deduction for putting in any plan, right? So based on where you, what you need, uh, you can go look at various providers. Um, Almost every state has their own provider, if not multiple. Um, And what you can do is you put money in there. It's after tax money that we put in, and then it gets to grow um, without paying taxes. And so long as we take the money out for qualified medical expenses, qualified, sorry, qualified educational <laughs> expenses, um, we don't have to pay taxes. Both are very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, it's a, it can be a helpful way to go and save. Um, you can have, you know, multiple ki- multiple accounts, one for each child. Um, or you could, you know, you could have one account if you wanted to, I suppose. Yeah. And, and we did, uh, again, 
linking back to full episodes if people want more information. Episode number eight, talking about how you can save for college, we go into a lot more depth on that. And so 529 plans a great option, as Scott's talking about. There's there's some great tax benefits. Um, and, and if you don't necessarily want to tie the money up for college or you say, I do want to invest money, but I want it to be maybe I want my children to be able to buy a home or start a business or just have a, a lump sum that they can do what they want with when they reach age 18 or 21 or whatever it is. There's other accounts called UTMAs, Uniform, Trans- Uniform Transfer to Minors Accounts or UGMAs, which I think Uniform Gift to Minors Accounts, yeah. I believe it is. Yep. Uh, other other ways. If you can invest and control the funds while the child is a minor, and then as soon as they reach age 18 or 21, depending upon the state, that money, it's grown and transfers to them. Two, two, well, a couple, a couple things there. Personally, uh, my thought: this, this, these, this idea of like gifting to the kids. You, we, I would be, I would want to make sure that mom and dad have really taken care of themselves before we start doing that. One, two, uh, uniform gift to minor accounts. You can always gift money to your kids annually out of your own a- assets. Um, eat this year, what is it? Fifteen thousand dollars is the exclusion this year. Something James. like that. So it's like, so if it's a couple, you could give up to $30,000 a year. So if it's December and, and my wife and Amanda and I really wanted to, we could gift uh, $30,000 to Lucas on December 30th. And on January 2nd, we could give him another $30,000. We give him $60,000 really fast, right? So when you start looking at like how you could gift to kids, um, that's one thing to look at. The other is the the age of majority for most of those states is 18 or 21. So you have to think, how much money am I going to give my kids? And am I cool with them having that money when they turn that age? Right. Um, I did want to rewind really quickly, though, back to the 529 account, because if you have a maybe a loved one passed away and you have, you know, you just received um, a, a benefit from an estate and your big goal is to go fund college. Well, you can front load college funding. Um, that gifting that we were talking about of $15,000 per year per beneficiary um, for estate planning, you can actually front load that um, and do a lump sum of a five-year period um, for 529 accounts. So if you really wanted to front load it and go pay for everything, you could do that. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and then you're right a bit again about the UTMA and the UGMA as well. I almost rarely recommend that because you're right. You don't know what your child's going to be like at 18 or 21. And do you really want there to be this large potential transfer at that age? Or do you want to maintain more control over the assets? And if that's the case, there's nothing to stop you from just investing in a standard investment account, keeping control over that and gifting it whenever you choose or not, if you choose that down the road. Absolutely. Agreed. Okay. Awesome. So what, what next? What are right. some other options? We've hit so many spots. People are already going to go save. If you're, if you're still going one, great. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, after, so I, I think another, another thing that I would go look at pretty quickly. Um, now it, hopefully we've actually, we should have hit it a, a while ago, but um, all of the things that we're putting money into outside of like the match for 401ks and maybe ESPP, which kind of have rates of return built into them because you pick up free cash flow. Um, outside of that, the rates of return that you're going to get in the market are typically not as high as some of the interest rates that you might be paying on personal debts. So you would actually want to go look at like, are there personal debts that I should be paying down now where the rate of return, you know, the interest rate that I'm paying is higher than what I'm going to get by putting money to work in other places. So if that hadn't happened yet, uh, go rewind, go back there and go focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of yeah. came in from the standpoint of like, you're all good to go. And like, you don't have any debts to worry about, but if you did, 
uh, that's where we would start. Yeah, if you're at this point and checking these boxes and you're paying 20% on a credit card, uncheck all those boxes and go pay that off first and then come, it, come back. Absolutely. Um, yes, thank you for throwing that in. Yeah. And then one thing, you know, it's kind of on a checklist that we would think about uh, things like annuities and annuities get a bad rap for a lot of very good reasons. In many cases, they're, 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 they're not appropriate. They're sold. They pay hard, large commissions and they're expensive, but they do have a, a, they do have a place in certain instances in terms of the tax deferral they provide. If you can get a good annuity that provides some tax deferral, very rarely are they the, the best solution, but it's something to consider if you're saying, okay, I've maxed out 401ks, I've maxed out even maybe my own uh, profit sharing as a business owner, I've maxed out all these other things. You can consider annuities, uh, probably not going to be best, but certainly something to, to look at. And even people talk about buying cash value life insurance. I know you and I, Scott, uh, don't really look at that super favorably, but it's just something that people can at least look at um, if we're going to try to be fair and check all the boxes here. Yeah, you know, th- things can have their own purpose. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a family that has a very, very large net worth, especially if it's an illiquid net worth, well, then life insurance can make a lot of sense, right? Because we need to go ahead and like generate um, uh, funds for a tax bill when it comes due when uh, inheritance passes. So there, there, there can be reasons. Um, they're rare, in my opinion, <laughs> um, but they can exist. Another place that you can go look to invest is simply a taxable investment account yeah. in a trust or a joint account or an individual account, right? Yeah. Where you can easily have that cash available to you anytime you need it. Um, and it kind of goes to looking at your balance sheet overall and looking at how do you optimize your balance sheet for the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think people have this conception that the way you invest in a taxable account has to be different than the way you invest in a 401k or a Roth IRA. And and no, you, you have the same exact options when it comes to investing in a brokerage account or taxable account that you could in your Roth IRA or a traditional IRA or whatever it may be. It's just the way those funds, the interest and the dividends and the growth, the way it's taxed is going to be different. And that's really the only, uh, only difference. And the reason we talk about starting with the 401k and starting with IRAs or Roth IRAs is because there's great tax advantages for that. that you're not necessarily going to get with a brokerage account, but you are going to get other benefits. You're going to get flexibility. You don't have to wait until you're 59 and a half to access that. You're going to get just diversification of how your investments are taxed. Um, you're going to get a lot more control over the timing of when that happens. So it's a great account. It's just not going to have the same tax benefits that the, the others might have. Absolutely. And depending on all of this, I think the other thing that the other final account that we could mention that we haven't brought up yet would be um, if you're uh, especially if you're more charitably inclined and you have appreciated stock um, or you own a privately held business, um, that's there. There could be a potential there, too, would be a donor advised fund. And so a donor advised fund is a place where we can go transition. Again, it's a tax planning strategy, but it's also a giving strategy where we can go and we can move funds across our balance sheet. Go gift those funds, give them away in the future, or let them grow for the future. Um, only for giving, though. <laughs> we can't mm-hmm. use them for something else. Mm-hmm. But it's another another strategy to look at. All of these strategies in, in conjunction with one another should tie in directly to a financial plan that you have. And that financial plan, in my opinion, should always be driven off of what's essential to you and your family to live the life that you want. So even though we're going through this, like, yeah, go here first and then check this box and then check that box. We're kind of doing it as like rule of thumb wise, but 
if, you know, James came to me as, as his, um, if I was his advisor and he's at a corporate job making really high income and wants to leave that corporate job as quickly as possible, we are not going to go put all of his money in retirement accounts at his age. Cause that's just not going to work for the life that he wants to build. We have to, we, we use the tax structure and those benefits to our favor when it makes sense for us, but we do not let them drive us. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. I, I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, financial planning is more art than science sometimes. And we're kind of talking about it from the scientific standpoint of what boxes do you check in in which order. But yeah, that your life circumstances and what you're looking to accomplish is going to drive this more so than our list of what should you do and in what order. But hopefully this provides some reference point as you go through it. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think that covers it. But anything else you want to add? No, that's it. All right. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer on a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website, and there'll be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your own question for us to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.